Ezra chapter 3 is where we find ourselves. So thank you, uh, Pastor B, for reading that for us. If you haven't turned there, you're welcome to turn there to the end of Ezra chapter 3. I love that intro we just got on revival and church planting because the, there's a tension in there. You may not have noticed that Pastor B was, was opening up for us. On one hand, if we're going to see revival in our day, there's going to take some methodology, right? We're going to need a, a strategy. Each one reach one is a strategy. Go after the children who are far from the Lord is a strategy. Find lost people and go to them is a strategy. Every great revival probably has some sort of strategy wrapped around it. And yet I think too often, we're really good at building strategies, but we neglect the more important thing, which is the heart for revival. Now, I don't think a strategy like each one reach one works at all if you don't have a heart that says, cut me open, and you'll see church planting there. I remember a famous uh, theologian said, cut, or of him, it was said, cut him and he bleeds the Bible, right? And that's one of the questions I want to wrestle with today is if we're going to move into a season of revival like we talked about last week, if we're going to fan into flames the work that God has for us in this next season, Um, Before we start building the methods, we need to lay the foundation of the heart of revival. As we study this text in Ezra chapter 3, one of the things that struck me as I studied it was that I have a belief that if God is going to birth a revival in our time, it's going to start in here, and it's going to start with us building rhythms in our lives outside of here that revolve around worship as well. Let me put that on the screen for you so that you can wrestle with it. If God is going to birth a revival in our day, it's going to start in here, in this room, and in the rhythms of worship we have in our lives outside of this room. The heart of revival, in other words, is the worship of God's people. I remember the first time we came back after being closed for several months with the pandemic, we had a worship service in this room for the first time in many months, and it, it was not by any stretch of the imagination, the world's best worship service. You know, there's like 80 of us and there was smoke outside, right? And so it was just a hard day to have a worship service in general. We're all wearing masks and, I don't know, full on like hazmat suits and we're sitting like 50 feet apart from each other and the band had never performed in front of a live audience in a sense before. We've been used to singing at the camera for six months and we're all rusty, we got a new sound system, we're trying to figure everything out. And so we did our best, right? And we did something that was for the Lord and it was beautiful even though it was rough. And I remember this woman walked out of the sanctuary that I'd known for years and years. She'd been coming since like 1980 to the church and she's just bawling. She just hugs me and she says, it's so good to be back in the house of the Lord again, worshiping with God's people. And you could sense that in that moment there was some kind of fire that was being lit in her heart that had been falling cold over months and months while we've tried to keep it alight on the internet. We've tried to use streaming to make worship happen, right? But there's something about when God's people gather in this place for worship that revival can be fanned into flame as we worship him together. We talk about this all the time, that God inhabits, he says, the praises of his people. 
Even today, as we celebrate communion together, there's something powerful about the communion meal that it said in the New Testament, whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's something about our gathering that's even evangelistic in nature, that revival happens as we align our hearts together and sing praises to God's beautiful name. It's great to have methods of revival. But before we leave this hill and try to build methods that bring revival into our world, we've gotta align our hearts together in worship because that's where God fans these things into flame. And yet at the same time, we, we have a little bit of a tension in our world, <laughs> at least in the American church. And I haven't talked to Pastor B about if this exists in the Bangladesh as well, but in the American church, the worship service is not normally the place in the church where it feels like revival is coming. Now, revival is a word where it describes life emerging And in America, when we talk about worship, a lot of times we use words that talk about death emerging, right? There's a phrase that I think is unique to America where we talk about worship wars. You ever heard that phrase before? Worship wars? Kind of this war of traditional music versus contemporary music. If you haven't heard this before, you can read through my email inbox, right? Hymns versus choruses, songs that are this long versus songs that are this long, volume that is this loud versus volume that is this loud, organs, choirs, orchestras, drums, guitars, electric guitars, right? There are so many things we fight about, and COVID has only given us 500 new things to fight about. Now we don't just talk about what happens in the stage. We talk about what you're wearing on your face when you come to worship. Is it appropriate to wear a mask in a church, right? Was an actual conversation on Facebook in 2020, right? This is a new layer, a new dynamic to the worship wars. What's the government's role in regulating worship was a topic of last year. Worship and the service, the central service of our church, gathering God's people to praise the Lord in worship in a lot of churches can become the most divisive, argument-fueling, (laughs) anger-inducing gathering of the week. And I don't feel like revival and war can fit very well together. And so as we move from last week's topic, as we're talking about praying for revival and sensing God's movement towards revival, and now we move into the text of Ezra and Nehemiah, and we see this first movement laying the foundation of the temple. I think it's really fitting that we see the first movement of revival in Ezra and Nehemiah, or near revival, being an an intention to rebuild the foundations of religious life in the world. If you are new to Ezra and Nehemiah, I'll give you the very brief flyover. Ezra and Nehemiah is one book in two books, one book that tells three major stories of revivals that almost happen. And these three stories on one hand are very different, right? It starts with this this first seven chapters of Ezra. There's a different leader, Zerubbabel, where the next phase is a leader named Ezra, where the third phase is a leader named Nehemiah. They have three different different building projects. Zerubbabel is building the foundations of the temple and the temple itself. Ezra is rebuilding the altar of God within the temple. Nehemiah is building the walls around the city. All of these are building together religious life for Israel, and yet each one of these three stories has major movements that are precisely the same as one another. 
And we'll put them on the screen for you in case you want to take notes on these two books, three, these Ezra and Nehemiah books. First, we see in each of these three stories a vision for revival. This vision to rebuild some aspect of God's people. Second, we see opposition arises against the good work that God is trying to do. And then unfortunately, in Ezra and Nehemiah, every time revival almost gets off the ground, God's people have a questionable response to the opposition that arises, and the revival kind of fizzles out and dies before it lights into flame. And so we're gonna look at the first of these three today, and it's related to this concept of religious worship. The vision for revival under the return with Zerubbabel was laying the foundation of religious worshiping life for God's people. Zerubbabel was a man who was commissioned by God to lead this charge. And like we talked about last week, when we read the first few chapters of Ezra, we get this anticipation that something amazing is about to break out. We see all these people leaving Babylon and going back to the promised land under Zerubbabel. We see this parade of different types of Israelites, including the Levites who are instituting religious life in the city. We see descendants of David giving us hints that the Messiah and the Messianic age might be emerging in this next time. We see the people come back with gold and silver and money and donations and they're ready to rebuild and they go right to the heart of God's holy city. They lay the foundations of the temple where God himself will dwell with his people. They dedicate the foundation and then they start to build. They send away to these faraway lands for beautiful types of wood and stone and these different types of elements they'll need to build the temple. They start establishing the Levites and building choirs of worship. They celebrate the festivals and they build the calendar and they start to get religious life churning again among God's people. And we get so, so excited because it feels like after 50 years of death, life, life is reemerging. And he sensed the excitement in the passage that Pastor B read there in in verse 10 of Ezra chapter three. It says that when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. These people are so excited because revival is coming. Now, if you want to take notes about how revival comes, last week we talked about prayer. Today we'll talk about the foundation of revival. The first thing for you to write down today is that revival begins with the restoring of the heart of worship in God's people. It begins with restoring the heart of worship. And I actually got really excited as I was preparing the sermon for this week because this is the passion of, of our church right now as we come out of COVID-19. Now, on one hand, we've been kind of shut down in the area of worship together as a church family for many months, and so it's beautiful to come back. But even as we start to come back and we pursue this vision of transforming the East Bay with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we know that the primary place we need to put our energy in the next season is rebuilding the heart of worship for our church. If you're praying for our church, here's a major prayer request for us. We are looking for someone that can come and join our team here. Our staff is one of our pastoral team to lead the charge to this end. 
Someone who can help us design worship services that draw men and women and kids together in worship on Sunday morning. Someone who helps us engage with the heart of God as we gather together, to be convicted of our sin, to find revival in our own lives, in our own community, to be mindful of the lost people out in our community. Someone who's got some experience with taking a congregation um, and pulling worship out of them, helping us learn to sing praises to his name, growing close-knit together as we sing to the Lord. We've been searching for a year for someone to come and help us rebuild this next season of worship for our church and we are looking and we need your prayers and we're getting closer but we don't have somebody yet so keep praying for that because for us this is a major component of our church not just at the Sunday level but we feel like God has given us a a legacy and a passion and a vision for even using the tools that we have in this room to reach tens of thousands of people outside our doors so we're looking forward to Christmas this year how are we going to invite lost folks up to our church at Christmas at Easter we're looking at this stage in this theater that God has given us? How do we use the arts to reach thousands of people in our community in this next season of ministry? We're so excited about dialing back in the rhythms of our worship here at the church and drawing folks to worship Jesus. And so I am excited to read the Bible and see that they're passionate about things that we're passionate about too. But at the same time, it's also a little eerie Because when I read this text of the scripture, I see that the people are not merely excited about the same things as us, but I see that they're also struggling with some of the same things as us. Remember I said that there's a vision for revival and then opposition emerges. And there's two forms of opposition in Ezra 3 and 4. The first opposition that emerges is an internal opposition. And I'm just gonna put this up on the screen I don't need you to respond to this. I just want you to think about it. I'm just gonna put it up there. This is what we see in Ezra chapter three. After everyone is celebrating that a new vision for worship is coming, here's what we see in the text. Put it up there. Longtime members of the community were discouraged because what they were experiencing now was not as good as things used to be. Like I said, I was really excited to see that some of their strategy was very similar to our COVID-19. I was not very excited to see that this part of their reality was similar to our COVID-19. Because some of you know exactly what this is talking about. Some of you in our church have been here for a long time and currently you are discouraged because even as it's good to regather as God's people, some of what you're experiencing today, you feel like, man, this is not as good as things used to be. Now, this is what it says in, in, chapter, or in verse 12. It says, many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. I've said a couple times that this is a, a phrase that I've thought about during post-pandemic church life is that we look out on a Sunday morning and people are singing and smiling and crying and some of them are crying because they're excited to be worshiping. Some of them are crying because they're like, this stinks, I don't like this anymore. What happened to my church, right? And we're all together laughing and singing and crying and bawling and raising our fists, right? All as one community together. You know, theologians are kind of, don't know exactly why everyone's crying, right? The, the most logical answer is that the new temple pales. Uh, the old temple is much, much better than the new temple, and the, the older folks are like, oh man, this is not gonna be as good as things were before. But at the same time, there's a lot of reason people are mourning, right? People are, are mourning because they've been in exile for 50 years. 
Her people are mourning because they were in exile because of the sin of God's people. People are mourning because it's been a long, long time since they've been able to worship freely. People are mourning because as they see the foundation of the temple being laid, there's still a lot more building to do. There's a lot more work to be done. The walls of the city are still in ruins. Religious life is not yet real established. The foundation is great. The vision is important. But there are people, especially people who have been around for a long time, who are discouraged because the world that we're coming into post-COVID-19 is not as good as the world that you remember here at Three Crosses or at Neighborhood Church before the season that we entered into this pandemic. You know, and that's real. You look around, right? We feel like every week there's more people, which is great, but it still kind of feels like, where'd everybody go? <laughs> you look and you go to try to like hug someone that you're friends with and they kind of stand back and they put out their elbow to you, right? You're like, oh. This is not what felt like church life, right? Potlucks feel like out of the question, right? Which used to be a staple of church life. We've got an amazing team that God gave us uh, to lead our worship services over the pandemic. Everyone on our worship team that's on our staff, I think at this point, is like brand new to worship leadership, to church staff. We've got some new volunteers. We're trying to figure out what's next. We're looking for somebody to come and lead the team and build the team and all that. And, And so... And we've got amazing people doing their best to learn how to lead worship, but some of you remember, you're thinking the glory days, right? I've got the Choral Airs album, right, that, that has the beautiful choir. We remember the orchestra. We remember these seasons in the past, 10,000 people at Christmas. You remember the illustrated sermons. You remember that newspaper article of the, of the, the sheep that escaped down, right, the, the uh, MacArthur Boulevard in Oakland. You remember these moments in church life, and it feels like today we're just trying to get people back to church again. And so a lot of us are excited to be back in church again. Some of us are discouraged because we remember how church used to be. It doesn't mean God is not doing things today. It doesn't mean that arrival is not coming. It doesn't mean that this is not the foundation of what is to come. I'm just trying to be real that in this text, some of the older folks were discouraged because they remembered that the past was better than the present. And so it was hard to be excited about the future. You know, as I, I reflected on this, I actually got really encouraged about our church because I, I think about all the folks that I see on Sundays that are probably among those who are likely to be discouraged. And maybe that's you. You're sitting here today and maybe you already sent me an email to this effect, right? And, and this has not been your favorite season in church life, but you're here, right? Some of you have been here since the beginning, since we first reopened. I remember sitting there and, and you're crying because your friends don't want to come back to church because they've got political views that keep them from church or they've got different stuff going on in their lives and their arms are folded and you just have a heart for your friends to come back. And it's not your favorite right now, but you're here because this is your place and these are your people and your heart is breaking for those who aren't here. So you're crying because of those who haven't come back yet. Right? Some of us are mourning because we're here, but our friends are somewhere else. Some of our friends are not coming to church or going to any church. They've fallen away during the pandemic. We don't know where they are, and yet you're here. And we raise this, um, what does the Bible say, like a holy noise to the Lord or whatever, right? We, we raise this sound to God, and this sound is singing and instruments and tears and cheers and everything in between. Now, I love that where Ezra goes after the, the discouragement passage is he says that no one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. 
And it's like people were laughing and crying and celebrating and mourning all together, but they were all together doing it. And the nations around the corner could hear what was happening because something was happening even though it was complicated. And that's where we are. We're at a spot where we're coming back and it's complicated. Maybe like your Facebook status, it's complicated. (laughs) Amen, our best days are ahead of us. We're laying the foundation of things to come. We're praying that God brings us into that. We are excited for the future. But the reason that we're gonna get into the future together is because some of you who have been discouraged are still here and you're crying with us while we worship. Some of you are worshiping with us while you cry. And we're figuring it out together. And my encouragement to you, just from, from my heart, as I look at a text of scripture like this, that I just, this isn't from the text, I just want to encourage you with this, is that when there are seasons in life when worship doesn't feel right, and in seasons when worship doesn't feel right, I just want to put out there that God gives us an opportunity in those seasons to develop our hearts for worship. And revival begins in the heart. And if you're in a season where it's just hard to sing because you don't know the songs, Right? It's like we did two hymns out of the three songs this morning, but I don't even know how to sing these hymns, right? It's, maybe this is a season that as we figure this stuff out together, God is preparing you to get your heart aligned with where he wants to take us in the future. Not with the, I'm not even saying, to get on board with the songs we're singing because we're figuring stuff out here, but to get your heart on board with a passion for the Lord in, in this room and in your own private devotional life with him to tune your heart for revival. You know, I said the, the kind of the one, two, three punch in Ezra and Nehemiah is that there's vision for revival and, and then there's opposition and then there's a questionable response. And I'm encouraged that there's no questionable response to this internal discouragement that folks faced. It, it seems like this is the best they could do with the things that they've been ha- given at that moment and they kind of move on from there. The questionable response comes in the next verse when the external opposition comes their way. I don't even know if I'd call it opposition, but but here's what happens next in this text. It says in chapter four, verse one, that when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building the temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and they said this, let us help you build because we, like you, seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. So it's like, okay, that's, that's good. People who didn't know their God before the exile found their God during the exile, and now when they came back to their place and they started to regather for worship, people who before weren't part of them said, can we come too because we found your God during this time of the 50-year pandemic, right? Here's the questionable response. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of the family of Israel answered this way. You have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We, if you didn't get it, we alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, king of Persia, commanded us. That should be a red flag to you as you read the text, like the Uh uh-oh, guys, right? And uh uh-oh, guys, does continue. The people go off, they get angry, they heap insults at them, they try to stop the building project, they get into a legal battle, and they, I don't know if you know any Christians who've gotten into a legal battle, that's never good, right? So they get into a legal battle, then they've gotta get their lawyers involved, they find out that the king has actually made an edict so they're allowed to build, and they win the court case, yay! And then revival never happens. 
And you have to wonder if the reason that revival (laughs) never takes off is because you'll never reach lost people when you're straight-arming the lost people that God sends your way. You know, music style is not gonna kill a revival in God's church. Music style is also not gonna cause a revival in God's church. Turning away outsiders who are seeking the Lord is the very recipe that will poison the revival that God is trying to build in his church. This is the questionable response. It was hard because God, even if you look at the prophecy of this time in Jeremiah, he talks about this very thing, about the wicked neighbors that persecuted the Israelites before the time in Babylon. He says in Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 14, as for all my wicked neighbors who seized the inheritance, I gave my people Israel, I'll uproot them from their land. And after I uproot them, I will again have compassion and I will bring each of them back to their own inheritance and to their own country. And if they learn well the ways of my people and swear by my name, then they will be established among my people. This was the heart of God. And we've been talking about since the beginning of the pandemic that our our prayer during the pandemic is that through this camera, somehow we're gonna connect with folks who are lost and far from the Lord. And so our prayer is that as we regather, that some of those folks, and maybe that's you who's watching online right now, some of those folks, they reemerge with us. But revival will never happen if, if those folks who come back to be with us don't get integrated among us. And revival will be destroyed immediately if when those folks show up, we say, stay away, this is my, right? My church, my small group, my Sunday school class, my community, my ministry, my, my, my. I think the main thing that we can learn as we look at this first wave of return in Ezra and Nehemiah is that if we wanna experience revival in our time, We need to grow our hearts of worship while opening our arms to the new people God is sending our way. This is how revival works. A lot of times we read the Bible and we try to look at all these characters like they're the heroes we need to copy. Don't copy this, right? If you're looking for a hero to try to copy in the Bible, somebody name one hero you can copy. Jesus is the answer, okay, Jesus is the answer. If you look at John chapter four, you get a picture of Jesus doing much better than Zerubbabel and Joshua and the leaders of the heads of Israel at engaging with a pagan around the concept of worship. This is Jesus and the woman at the well. He finds this woman who's a Samaritan, she's an outsider, she's one of those wicked people, right? And, and she doesn't follow him, she doesn't follow the God of Israel, she follows kind of a perversion of their theology. And all the disciples would have walked around Samaria, but Jesus had to go through Samaria because he had to meet with this lost person along the way. And so the disciples go to find food and Jesus is talking with this woman and they start talking about religion and, and he starts to try to reveal who he is to her. And she gets nervous, and she kind of turns the topic to worship wars. She says, hey, let me ask you, since we're talking about religion, uh, the Jews say that worship's supposed to happen on that mountain. I think it was called Hymns Mountain. And she said, the Samaritans worship on this mountain. I think it was called Chorus's Mountain. Just kidding, it wasn't called those things. Uh, 
but, but where, where are we supposed to worship? You seem like a holy man. Tell us, how do we solve the whole worship wars between the Jews and the Samaritans? And Jesus cuts right through all of that. And he says, I tell you the truth, a time is coming where we're not gonna worship God on that mountain or that mountain. God is seeking worshipers, but he's looking for men and women who are gonna worship him in spirit and in truth. And she's like, okay. And then she tries to punt. She's like, well, I know that when Messiah comes, he's gonna teach us all this stuff, right? And Jesus said, I, who am talking to you today, am he. And she says, hold on a second, all right? And she goes back home, down and back into her village where she was an outcast and she had a bad reputation. And she starts going from house to house and she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And all of a sudden, this pagan person who Jesus did not engage on the worship board topic with but just invited her to, to worship with her whole heart, she catches the... <laughs> The Christian virus goes back down and invites all of her friends to come meet Jesus. And the disciples come back with a hamburger or whatever they went out in town to get. And they're like, why are you talking to that lady? And Jesus looks down at Samaria and sees all of these like, people coming up the hill to meet Jesus. And he says, open your eyes. The fields are ripe for harvest. It's a conversation that starts with worship and the heart of worship but ends with arms that are open to receive the lost people that God is drawing to himself. And don't get me wrong, I, I'm not talking about building a church where we're like pandering to non-believers, we're trying to sing Beatles songs, but I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about changing what we teach up here to try to teach people stuff they wanna hear about, right? We're talking about being real, devoted followers of Jesus Christ with our eyes on him and our arms ready to embrace anyone who wants to cling to him. And mindful of the folks outside our door who don't know the right hand from their left, inviting them to be with us, worshiping among them, inviting them into our small groups, inviting them into our lives, being real worshipers, being men and women who worship Jesus in spirit and in truth, but worshipers who invite others along for the ride, realizing that the goal, the mission of God on this earth is not to make you a better person, but the mission of God on this earth is to transform the globe as men and women turn to Christ all around it and welcoming them into his family as well. You know, last week I asked you to pray, and so I'm gonna ask you to pray again, but I wanna give you a couple of questions to bring into your prayer life that I believe if you really wrestle with the Lord on these questions, he'll start tuning your heart for the revival he has for you and for us as a church ministry. And we'll put them on the screen, I'll leave them there for a while, I have no control over this, but um, someone will. And you can take a picture, you can write it, whatever. But here's my question for you. What would it look like to create rhythms in your life, rhythms of worship that do two things? One, develop a heart of worship within you. And two, naturally connect you with those who are seeking Jesus. The reason I, I want you to really think about this and not just listen to it right now and walk away unchanged, right, is... Because I'm talking about changing the way that you do life to intentionally impact not just your behaviors, but your heart and your vision for folks that God died to save. 
And so what I'm talking about is not merely becoming a person who comes to church, because all of you who are in here are people who come to church, and that's awesome, right? But asking the question, how do I come to church in a way that develops a heart of worship within me? Right? Maybe that means you come into church early if you've got the bandwidth to do that. You don't have kids to drop off, right? All that kind of thing. Or maybe, you, I don't know what time you can drop off your kids. Figure it out, right? Come to church early and prepare your heart for worship before we dive in together. Right? Maybe it means repenting of all of the irritation you've had and say, you know what, God, I'm just gonna come and seek you. Who cares if I like it? I'm gonna seek you, right? Maybe it means developing a practice in your life where you, you aren't just merely saying, I'm gonna start reading the Bible tomorrow, but develop your life around that rhythm, right? Throw everything out the window and say, if I wanna be more than anything else, a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, what should my life look like? What should my day look like? What should my work day look like? look like? What should my time with my kids look like? What should their bedtime routine look like? Not to add more on you, but to redesign your life starting with what matters. And then saying, okay, if that's all true, then I got to get a job too. How does that fit in, (laughs) right? Putting the most important things in first. It means building rhythms with the lost in mind, right? Maybe you make a commitment. I'm never going to step foot on Three Crosses campus ever again without calling a friend to join me who doesn't know Jesus, right? That's bold, but that's a, that's a life rhythm. Maybe saying, you know, I'm gonna take my privatized little quiet time I have around my coffee table at home every morning and I'm gonna take it on the road. And twice a week, I'm gonna open up my Bible at work or in the conference room or in the lunchroom or whatever, or I'm gonna invite somebody who doesn't know the Lord to come sit with me and read and let's see what happens as I invite people into the rhythm that brings life to me. It's personalized for you, but what would it look like for you to create rhythms in your life that develop a heart of worship and that naturally connects you with lost folks who are seeking Jesus? We long to see revival, but revival is not going to come by really cool methods or great music. Revival is going to come through prayer and through developing hearts that are passionate for the Lord and are aligned with his passion for reaching folks who are far from God. So let's be people who open the rhythms of our life up to him more and more each day. I'm gonna pray, we're gonna sing, and then we're gonna receive communion together. And if you're a Christian, you're a believer in Jesus, that's something that you are welcome to do here. um, You may have already grabbed it on your way in. If not, I'm sorry, it's COVID. You gotta sneak back out and grab one. We've got a little cup that's got a wafer on top of it. You can grab one while we sing and come back in. And I will lead us in communion after this next song. So I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll have communion together after we sing this next song. Father, we lift the rhythms of our life up to you. Paul inscripturates this concept that in you we live and move and have our being our breath comes from you. And so we wanna use our breath to sing praises to you. Our ability to move comes from you, so we wanna use our feet to bring good news to those who are far from you. Our mouths were given to us, we wanna open our mouths and proclaim your gospel, open our mouths with words of worship, open our mouths and have them devoid of cursing or irritation, all those things that we need to flee from. We pray that you'd make us pure vessels for your work with hearts aflame for the gospel and its ministry, and eyes and arms open to embrace those that you are calling to yourself. I pray for anyone who's with us today, who's far from you even now, maybe watching online or in this room with us, who don't know you, 
wrestling with something like communion, thinking I don't have communion with Jesus Christ, I can't eat and drink like these other folks can. We pray that in this moment, they would turn their hearts over to you, that you would forgive them of their sin, that you would give them fresh life, new life that starts now and never, ever ends, that you would seal them with your spirit, give them a promise of the hope of the resurrection, let their lives start to be transformed even now as they turn their gaze and open their arms to you. We pray that you would breathe fresh life into all of our souls as we sing to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.